0: We are pleased to be joined by the newest member of the Royals Hall of Fame. The one, the only, former skipper of the Royals, Ned Yost. Good morning, Ned. Morning, guys. How are you? We are outstanding. Congratulations. Appreciate it. What was it like for you to get
1: that call? What were you thinking when you see, hey, the Royals are calling? Were you pretty excited about that?
2: Well, it was Sam Mellinger, and, uh, you know, I, I talked to Sam from – Time to time, um, and so I, di- I didn't really think anything about it. And uh, you know, he said that uh, he had Kurt Nelson on the line with him, and <clears throat> that's when uh, you know I thought to myself, "Okay, what's Kurt on the line for?" And then you know, Kurt broke the news. So I was out in the middle of the woods in the skid steer. We were digging up a bunch of privet hedge along a creek. So uh, I was. Uh, a little preoccupied, but I was a little shocked and I was a little surprised and uh, it took a little while for it to sink in.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really cool honor, Ned, to, to be able to go into the Hall of Fame. And, and, and as I told you yesterday, I don't think you guys still get enough credit for what you were able to accomplish in this landscape of baseball, where they basically say, if you're not New York, L.A. or Boston, you don't have a chance to win. And you guys not only overcame other teams, you overcame baseball to win that championship.
2: Well, we did, Bob, and that's part of my issue with this, where I, I get a little uncomfortable because I get inducted into the Hall of Fame, but there were hundreds of people that made this happen. This was our player development system. This was Lonnie Goldberg and his scouts out scouring the country, looking for the best talent that they could possibly find. Then we would get that talent. Player development would develop it develop it to the big league level our baseball operations people our business people in the front office our, our major league coaches all had huge impacts in our success and i'm the one that kind of reaps the benefit of it uh of course you know not even mentioning Dayton Moore and mr glass what they did to put put it all together and build it from the first building block all the way to you know, a, a nice uh, podium to put that World Series championship trophy on. So there were so many people involved in this, uh, in this wonderful time, and for me to, to get reap the benefit and be in the Hall of Fame feels a little strange to me,
0: but. Uh, uh, I know it's a great honor and uh, you know I really 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 appreciate it you're representing all of them think of it that way you're you, everybody's going yeah. in with you in that regard as you've as you've now been a few years removed do you i guess realize that it kind of defied as Bob mentioned kind of defied baseball and and how hard it was to get to that mountain top yeah
2: and th- you know it really when I sit back and look at it it wasn't really. It wasn't really that hard. The hard part was trying to convince Kansas City what we were attempting to do. The hard part was trying to get them to understand that, um, you know, we need talent to win, we have talent in the farm system, and we have to be patient and allow them time to grow and develop as Major League players. Then we have to give them time to become championship-caliber players. And that was actually the hard part, trying to convince people, hey, we're on the right track, we're going places. Nobody wanted to believe it. They had heard it before, so I I understand it. You know, I understood, look, we've heard this before. We've got these great players. We end up trading them away when they make some money. I don't believe that this is what what is going to happen. And, you know, for me, I knew that from the minute those kids got there, we were on the clock. We had six years to make something happen. So we had to, you know, we had to, we had to work hard. We had to continue to develop these players at the major league level, continue to teach them, uh, how to play the game and how to play the game to win at the major league level and give them the opportunity to fail, uh, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because that's important. You, you have to gain that experience so that when you get to a point, uh, when you can compete, the pressure is immense, and you have to be able to know how to handle it. And all these experiences that you have before this all prepare you for this time. So, you know, that was my goal, was to get these kids into a position where they could compete for a championship and then let them run. And that's exactly what happened. We worked hard. We got them there. And once they finally, once they finally started to turn the corner in 2013 after the All-Star break, uh, you know, it was,
1: uh, it was on from there. You know, Ned, one of the moments I think this is, is one of the most important in your tenure here in Kansas City. You mentioned letting the guys fail and there was a game in St. Louis in the early days where you let Alcides Escobar like bat late in the game and people were mad. Why would you let him bat there? Don't pin, You got to pinch hit for him. Well, it kind of paid off because Esky turned into a really good player. How big was that moment to allow Esky to, to to hit in that moment to show not only the, that I believe in you, but to give that guy the opportunity in a game that there really wasn't a lot of pressure on back then?
2: Well, you're right, Bob. And you know what? It, there, there's all kinds of cases. There's Mike Moustakas. You know, hitting 160. You know, everybody wanted to know why are we playing? The hitting 160. Uh, you know, guys are struggling. Luke Hochevar was struggling. You know, why are you giving these guys opportunity? And you know, I knew going into this that my goal was to win a world championship. I had seen Kansas City in its heyday when I was a player for the Brewers in the George Fred area in the early 80s, and how special that city was. And I knew how much fun it would be when we got to a point where we could compete for a championship. And that was the only thing on my mind from the minute I took that job to the minute, uh, you know, I quit was either we were building a championship or we're trying to win a championship. So, you know, for me, I wanted to give these guys every opportunity to experience every bit of failure that they could so that when they got to that point where they could compete for a championship, they'd have all that knowledge, all that experience under their belt. And for me, I could care less, and people have a hard time understanding, but I could care less to win a game if it's gonna give us 78, 79 wins, even if it's 81 wins. If we can't compete for the playoffs, with 81 wins, I didn't care. And so I was trying to stay focused on doing whatever it would take to put us in a position to win a championship. So if I had belief in you as a player, then I was going to give you every opportunity to fail. I was going to give you every opportunity to continue to work through it and grow and gain experience to become that caliber of a player. And, of course, we all saw the way Alcides Escobar uh, ended up, a mm-hmm. tremendous player, So, and Moose, and everybody. You just give them the opportunity to be themselves and let them
0: have time to do it. And if you have enough talent, you're going to win. If you don't have enough talent, you're not going to win. But we had enough talent. Ned Yost, former Royals manager, now newest member of the uh, Royals Hall of Fame, joining us here on Six Ten Sports Radio. Game seven of fourteen could have been it, right? You you put everything oh, yeah. in to get there. Why did this team? Why was this team able to to turn the corner and 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 essentially run it back and then win it in fifteen?
2: Well, they you know, they had a chip on their shoulder big time from the minute they got there. They knew how close they came. And um, for me, you know I it, it was just it was just you came that close, you could feel it, you could you're an arm's length away, and then all of a sudden it's gone. I mean, somebody else took it, and you don't get to celebrate that that special moment. And, yeah, it was great that we, you know, went to the World Series and won the American League Championship, but nobody felt like they accomplished much at that time. I mean, it was fun, it was good, but we wanted that World Championship. And, you know, it was funny, the difference, just to show you, the difference between winning the American League Championship and winning the World Series was after we lost Game 7, uh, a day or two later, we had a rally at the stadium, and there might have been 12,000 people there. So, uh, you know, here we are, just fish off of Game 7, won the American League Championship, hadn't been to playoffs in years, and we had like 12,000 people there. Mm-hmm. The next year, we won the World Series, and what do we have, 850,000 people? Yeah. So there's a huge difference between winning... Game seven, or winning the world championship and not winning the world championship. So it meant a lot. Our players knew it meant a lot, they knew they had to take that final step and they were hungry for
1: it. And, and, and that parade is kind of set the tone for where we are now in this town, Ned. We, we had that Royals parade, and then the Chiefs have now had two parades, and people in that organization said they looked to you for, I, I don't want to say inspiration, but they looked at you and they go, all right, it's time for us now to, to kick this thing into gear and to you know, do a parade in red like they had in blue. Do you realize like you guys winning were kind of the inspiration to get the Chiefs to where they are right now too? Well, that and a great draft in Patrick Mahomes and a great hire in Andy Reid. Yeah. You know, I think that has a
2: little bit to do with it. <laughs> uh, you know, Tra- Travis Kelsey and that great talent that they have there. But, you know, it's a, it's a sports town. Kansas City is uh, it, it's such a wonderful, wonderful town. And every time I see the KC logo either being the Chiefs or – you know, the Royals, it warms my heart because it's such a special place. They're such a unique group of fans that they they continue to back their team. They continue to weather the storm. And when they win, they celebrate and they enjoy it and they appreciate it. And, uh, you know, that's what makes Kansas City so special. And, you know, I think that, uh, you know, kind of watching from afar a little bit, I think the Royals are back uh, in a position where we were kind of like at the end of 12. Where we're going to, where they're going to start to take off a little bit. they've amassed that talent through great drafts and they've you know, developed it at the major league, at the minor league level now they've got to develop it at the major league level. Uh, But I look for, you know, them to take a a, a stride forward this year. So it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be interesting to watch and see how that plays out. Yeah,
1: I I think it it can be a fun year with with a lot of young talent and not having to have those expectations. You know, one of the things that you mentioned is, like, you you were going to let those guys go out there and fail. You didn't care about 78, 81 wins or anything like that. A lot of the guys, you know, over the last couple of years said there was so much pressure on them that every game mattered and they had to win every single game. They didn't get that opportunity. When did you feel comfortable as a manager that you could allow guys to go out there and fail and not have to worry about winning a certain amount of games?
2: Well, I knew that, you know, I knew that was my job. I knew it. I felt like that. You know, I watched Bobby Cox. Um, When we were in Atlanta, when they brought up that core group of guys in, uh, you know, the early 90s, 1990, 1989, uh, and watched them fail and watched Bobby as the GM and finally take over in 90, give them the opportunity to grow and develop as major league players. So, you know, I had that in mind. We did it in Milwaukee. I always, you know, I always caught a lot of heat for that. Nobody understood Uh, what I was trying to accomplish. And, you know, you have to be realistic, and that's the problem at at times. You have to be realistic with your expectations because if you don't have talent, you're not going to win. And I don't care who you are, but the fans want you to win. They expect you to win. But if you don't have talent, you're beating your head against the wall. So I knew that we had talent. I knew that we had to wait for it to get there, and then once it got there, we had to develop it. And even I had conversations with Mr. Glass, right? When I first took over, you know, the manager's job in Kansas City, and they were frank conversations. And he was very upset with the way we were playing, and I just told him, look, this is the way it's going to be for a while. That these guys have to grow, they have to learn, we've got to wait and get these kids you know, to the big leagues, these Misakas's and these Perez's that you're hearing about and all these uh, uh, Hosmer's and all these young kids that you keep hearing about. Uh, we got to allow them time to get to the big league. So, you know, people didn't understand that. They think that you show up every day and if you don't win, you're not trying. And that wasn't the case. And my whole focus was to bring a championship. So, yeah, I knew I had to take the heat. I knew what I was doing was right. And, uh, you know, I just I had to I had to do it. And even though people didn't understand it and a lot of people don't understand it today. I mean, we there are still some fans, very few to think I'm the biggest buffoon in the Royals history, you know, but they never understood what we were
0: trying to accomplish. It also takes, Ned, the the, the people around you and, and the Mr. Glasses of the world to stay patient. Sports is not a very patient sphere right now.
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not. and But it was constant with Mr. Glass, you know. Mr. Glass would come into my office, and, and he, Mr. Glass was a, as big a competitor as both Dayton and I, and, and we were huge competitors. But Mr. Glass could not figure out why we couldn't win 162 games in a year. He just wanted to know why we couldn't. Mm-hmm. And it was like I always trying to explain to him, it's not realistic. Your goals aren't realistic. Well, why not? I want to know why not. But it was always constant. Mr. Glass would come in, and he'd be a little edgy. you would sit him on the couch, and you'd explain to him exactly what we're doing, exactly where we are, and how these kids are coming along. And by the time he left, he was always smiling. So when people ask me, what was the greatest thrill in your career, uh, you know, as a Kansas City Royals manager, is watching Mr. Glass get that World Series championship. That was probably the greatest time in my career there, to watch him get that trophy from the commissioner the night we won the world championship because he hung in there with us. He gave us every opportunity. We tried to explain to him what we were doing.
0: He backed us, even though at times he was very uncomfortable doing it, and it paid off big time for him. 610 Sports Radio, KCSP, Kansas City, WDF, HG2 Liberty, and Odyssey Station.
1: Besides winning that championship, what's your favorite story you love to tell about managing the Royals?
2: Um, you know, I don't, I, I, there are just so many of them. Uh, I, I just, I just have uh, many of them. I just don't, I, I don't have one particular story. I don't think, um, you know, more than, than anything, which is kind of funny. Uh, you know, when this was all starting, you know, I go back to Zach wanting to be traded mm-hmm. and I kept trying to tell Zach, uh, look, Zach, we're gonna be good. We got these young kids coming, and Zach said, "Man, I don't believe it. I've heard it too many times before. You know, they they end up getting to a point and then they trade players." He said, "I want to go to a place that's gonna win." And I'm like, "Zach, we're gonna win. We're gonna win." And well, I am like zach we are going to win we are going to win i do not believe it. I've heard it too many times before. So we ended up. He wanted to be traded. We ended up trading to Milwaukee, which was a big piece for us. You know, it was a big. We got Kane, and we got Escobar, and we got Jake Odorizzi and Jeremy Jeffers, mm-hmm. you know, for Zach. So that, that was a huge, a huge trade for us to get a center fielder and an elite shortstop uh, in, in that deal. But what was funny about it, after we won, I saw Zach at the Gold Glove banquet in New York. And you know how Zach's very shy and, and very reserved. And I walked up to Zach, and I said, hey, Zach. And he goes, hey Ned, how you doing? I said, good. I said, you're gonna tell me. And I said, he said, I'm gonna tell you what. I said, you're gonna tell me you were wrong. You said we couldn't win, and we won. You're gonna tell me you were wrong. And Zach looked at me and got that little smile on his face. He said, I was wrong. Yeah. So that was that 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 was a cool part. But there was every day was fun in that clubhouse from. Even when we were struggling because the kids were trying so hard and they were working so hard to become successful
0: and become championship caliber players, it was fun to be around a group like that. Do you, you, you find it ironic that Zach Grinke is now back here and seemingly? I mean, he really wanted to come back here.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, this is an organization that has been built on uh, not only you, you know the highlight of 14 and 15 championship caliber team, but You know, we're a good organization. We're an organization um, that is known for our integrity and our communication and, um, uh, you know, our ability to treat people right, to try to develop players, not only as players, but as, uh, you know, good fathers, good sons, good teammates. And it's a fun organization to be around because there's always been open communication. There's always been, uh, you know, great character on the team. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Zach wanted to come back. And for me, I just think that it's a tremendous trade off to have Zach and his experience there, especially now with that group of young starting pitchers. I think he's going to be a tremendous influence on them. And, uh, I just think that it's a great match for both both
1: Zach and the Royals. You know, Ned, one of the great stories we we got out of Danny Duffy during COVID. We interviewed a lot of the guys from the 2015 team. It Was five years after you won, it was COVID. Nothing's going on. Everyone's like, yeah, let's do let's do interviews. And Duffy told us that in Game Four in Houston, when when you guys were making the comeback, he never saw any of it because they locked him in the bathroom in the bullpen. Did you know that?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I heard that story. There's a, you have there's so money there there's so much stuff that that people would enjoy if they actually knew it, um, you know. But yeah, I knew Danny didn't see much of it because you know you get little players get a little superstitious at times, <laughs> yeah. and they uh, you know they they do things that uh, in the end are are pretty funny to to come back and listen to.
1: No doubt. So when you come back to Kansas City, you're not gonna have to go by Frank at Starbucks anymore. <laughs>
2: No, I'm kind of laid off to Star. Well, my wife and I are having a Starbucks now because we're driving back to Georgia. But <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I don't think so. I was just so pleased to hear you say that you got the call while uh, toiling out on the farm. So what's the latest on the farm?
2: Uh, everything's going good. You know, it's uh, it's we're getting into the the spring, which is kind of nice. The winter, once you get into like the first of November, everything shuts down for deer hunting. All the grasses doesn't need to be cut anymore so you know all the 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 nine to five work is done so you're just focusing on deer hunting really and then when deer season ends you're focusing on putting everything in the freezer and and helping people uh you know get their quotas and now we're i'm going on to year four of a five-year plan for my garden i'm trying to perfect my gardening skills and i'm in year four so i'm making progress there and we're in the process of spraying fields and clipping fields and getting, uh, you know, the clover fields and the chicory fields ready to, uh, you know, to continue to spray and continue to work on them, and we're working along the creek. We cut timber last year, so we're cleaning up some of the loading decks and uh, cleaning up some of the privet hedge along the creek because it gets so thick in there you can't hardly uh, can't hardly walk, and when the grandkids come, we're looking for arrowheads and, in the creeks and in the fields and mushrooms and looking for sheds and a lot, lot going on at the farm this time of year.
1: Ned, before we <laughs> let you go, my friend Gene Watson wanted me to have you tell the story about you taking him down there hunting and then basically having to put him uh, uh, away because he was shooting at the wrong animals.
2: Yeah, Jane Gene doesn't. Jane's not a hunter. Jane doesn't. Jane doesn't understand. And I told him at that time, you know, you could, you could shoot all the does you want right now all right we're trying to grow the bucks and if you see a buck that's four and a half or five and a half years old you can shoot it but gene i don't trust you you wouldn't know the difference between a buck and a bunny rabbit so just make sure you see that the deer has no horns and then you can shoot it so gene said all right all right so he does this little sneaky video that somebody sends me. He goes, Dad says I can't shoot anything with horns. Well, I'm not listening to that. I'm going to shoot a buck if it comes by. Right? Well, he was just joking. Well, the first deer that came by, he swore it didn't have any horns, and when we walked up to it, it was a spike. So it did have horns. So I said, that's it, buddy. You're done. You got to you gotta sit, and you've got to be able to be the camp cook or whatever. So, uh, you know, we... we We're going to have Gene back out. He he was sentenced to a five-year banishment, but
1: now uh, that time's up. So we'll we'll have him back out here one of these days. And I'm sure he would love to do that. We appreciate you coming on. It's so good to hear your voice. You're going into the Hall of Fame. Tell Deb we send our love and have a safe drive back to Georgia. I appreciate it, guys. I'll see you soon. All right. Take care. (laughs) Ned Yost, Royals Hall of Famer, with us here on 610 Sports Radio.